0: For me, it's been a home run in two ways, on the racetrack
1: and also building our brand here in Australia in our business. i finished first or second every year since 2005, which was... uh... I knew it was
0: first before, and I proved it right. It's it's motor
1: racing, you know, you can't really just look at the last race of the
0: year. You have to look at, uh, it starts at Adelaide and ends at Newcastle. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. And welcome
2: back to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. it's another week in motorsport, here we get
3: ready for Barba Yellow. Indeed, and another short track, which I happen to find uh, more enjoyable than some of the medium length tracks that they do go to.
2: And of course it does bring into play that wonderful uh, addition to this year's calendar, that being the uh, Friday being more important with that setting up the priority 10 for qualifying. So... But that's all ahead of us. Let's get around to having a quick squiz at this round. Great last week having Scotty McLaughlin on and being able to uh, remind him about his year last year because one of the fascinating things was that he's won 11 of the last 30 races and including what was a great five-event series for him last year in that that was over the, uh, let me think, would it have been Barbigello or Philip Island, Barbagallo, Winton, Hidden Valley, Townsville, and Queensland Raceway. So it's six there, in fact, I mentioned. But he got six wins out of those ten races over the next five events, which was very dominant of him uh, last year and be interesting to see because you combine that with the fact that the last seven poles at Barber Begala have been taken by four drivers, Chas Mostert, Mark Winterbottom, Fabian Coulthard, and Scotty. It uh, doesn't bode ZB, but it's that thing, of course, where a lot of talks talks been about, are we going to see a more equal plane now after the initial break the ZBs had over
3: the FGX and the Altima? And what, we know, now, ahead, Tony, think, what we know now, Tony, is that uh, perhaps the Ford teams weren't so worried about the the ZB and not as focused on the ZB because they were doing the Mustang deal at the same time as uh, the ZB was getting ready so perhaps there was a you know a little bit of a case of we're looking this way whilst the ZB was being done to the other side of their their focus or in the peripheral vision of uh, the Ford teams you
2: could well be right there Craig because uh, they knew what was coming and certainly when you look back there's been plenty of 2-door uh, uh, cars that have uh, won successfully in both the uh, pre-supercar era when we were running around in things like XB Falcons and Monaros and Mustangs. There's lots and lots of wins and championships uh, through that time period. But a uh, great show this weekend because we've got Paul Morris on. And Paul, of course, is one of the more interesting of the people who have been in supercars for many, many years. Um, I came into him when he was both doing the... Uh, uh, Super 2 series, not Super 2, rather Super 2 in a BMW with Frank Gardner and Coca-Cola and uh, Benson Hedges, uh, Tony Longhurst being his teammate there and then also running his own team starting out in uh, supercars and through that entire time has been a regular contributor to the paddock in many,
3: many different ways. And a colourful racing identity is a is a very safe way to uh, sum up Paul Morris, isn't it? Yes, indeed,
2: and, and of course, always willing to give it a point of view. So that's on this week's show. We've got uh, a two-part uh, to Paul Morris, uh, and as well we're going to be playing a little bit of Matthew White. We spoke to him in Adelaide, and he again is somebody who's been committed to supercars since he joined the series back in about ninety five, ninety six after running around in um, Bob Jane's Oscar series. So uh, fascinating show. So after the break, we'll be back with Paul Morris.
0: Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
3: Yeah, I mean it, it. means a lot, you know. Through the years, a lot of reference this race as one of our majors. Six hundred miles around here is no easy task.
4: Uh, we were able to beat the two lads, to the boys, and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do. Um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family.
0: Inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
2: Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're joined this week by an illustrious man in Australian motorsport, a man who's been involved for 20, 30, 40 years. We won't go too far into that. But Paul Morris, welcome to Inside Supercars.
4: Oh, thanks. Great to
2: be on this uh, program. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here, Paul. Um, you have a uh, numerous uh, titles in, in Australian motorsport, and you also have a, a, a wonderful position as being someone who's well regarded, well respected around the sport. Not just for what you did on the track, but your points of view off the track, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you. Talk to you about you know how you're still involved in motorsport.
4: Yeah, well, it's 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 a drug, isn't it? Tony, you sort of always will be involved and when you try and not be involved, you can't really find anything else that can replace that feeling. So try and hang in there as as any way you can and whatever capacity you can still be involved in, it's a great thing to be involved in.
2: Now, the thing that we most know recently about you is is sprint cars, particularly in Queensland.
4: Yeah, well, that's sprint cars I raced after I retired from full-time supercar racing and concentrated on doing other things. I just needed something to scratch the itch and, uh, yeah, got into racing sprint cars locally and did a few races in the state. and I went to the Knoxville Nationals, which was pretty wow. amazing. Yeah. Um, that was in 2013. eye open experience. Most scared I've ever been in a race car, I reckon. Oh, wow. But, what was the uh, Oh, just how fast the cars were and no practice and it's one of those races where anyone can still rock up and do it so you just roll up to the pit gate and pay your 30 bucks to to go on the track and draw a number and that's where you go out in time trials and and then uh that's the first time you're on the track is in time trials so i, I think i draw a number number two i was the second car out of 150 cars it was a pretty eye-opening experience
2: Plenty of time to sit and watch it and, you know, get a good idea about what, what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: it, it, was, it was great. You know, big half-mile dirt track and um, got to do it. Uh, got through to the F main or something and then, uh you know, went and had a few beers and watched the guys that were good at it. So yeah. it was great.
2: You know, supercars is, in terms of the, the technical part of it and the mechanical part of it, and and in fact, I'm sure the actual the geographies of doing um, supercars to sprint cars is a long, long way um, you'd been dabbling in it before when you were still in supercars
4: yeah, I had it's just, Look, it's a, sprint cars in a really good position in Australia now, like our local scene up here has probably got 10 to 15 really good young guys in the sport now Yeah, um, and it's just affordable so I think you've got a lot of people coming out of carts and looking at road racing, the expense of going racing on uh, um, on, on the tarmac these days, and the, the, just the dirt is a really good option for them. Well,
2: of course, one of the things about it is that most of the time, travel is the lowest part of your cost, isn't it? As compared with, say, if you're doing any race series around Australia, travel is the major part of your cost.
4: Yeah, well, the logistics of the sprint car is pretty easy. You don't have to travel too far like we... Where we are, within sort of three hours' drive, there's 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 five tracks you can go and race at, and the, the closest one's, you know, half an hour away at Archerfield in Brisbane. So they, they get good car counts, and most tracks in Australia now are getting, getting really good car counts. It's, it's very strong. Yeah, I think there's yeah. over 1,200 registered sprint cars in Australia.
3: Is it easier to avoid the politics in sprint car racing than it is in supercar racing, Paul?
4: Yeah, they just don't have any. It's start the race and may the best man win you, pretty often you don't see a penalty um it's just hammer down and you know, if you get tripped up it's just part of racing and and uh what comes around goes around so it's not as highly scrutinized or or um
3: you know there's not, many, not as many stewards
4: involved and There's not as much at stake either, so I suppose that's why it's not as political.
3: We have overlooked Uh, your World Stadium Super Truck Championship, which is a little bit of an oversight of us, but what was it like to win that series?
4: Uh, It was really rewarding, actually. Um, I think uh, there were some pretty pretty good guys in the series, and we travelled to China, went to America five times, uh, the races in Australia, and... uh, all different types of circuits. Like in Beijing, we raced in the uh, Bird's Nest Stadium there where they had the Olympics. There 80,000 people in there and on a short little dirt track with some big jumps. And then uh, obviously support most of the IndyCar races in the States and then a couple of um, stadium dirt races and races here. So different drivers, different tracks and just a lot of fun. And to, uh, to bag that championship at my age was was great. It was a really, really rewarding experience.
2: So the common theme to your motorsport is so long as it goes and goes fast and is different, that seems to be the ingredients for it.
4: Yeah, I think so. I just I really enjoy driving different cars um, and getting the most out of them. So uh, I think I'll hang the helmet up on the sprint car. I don't think I'll, I'll get back in that again. Probably getting a little bit too old and the reaction times aren't quite there. And uh, But the stadium trucks still... Still slow enough where I can not get myself too scared, and um, if the jumps get too big, well, I will just slow down a bit. So.
2: <laughs> Do you have any proteges maybe for the sprint car?
4: Not really. There's a couple of young guys up here I help out, um, support. So they've got they all got teams and that. So i went some financial help and some help where I can to to keep them going around. So, but it's not not something we'll keep running as a team though.
2: One of the things that you hold as a unique crown in Australia is is the six, twelve, and thousand k race as a winner, which must be pretty terrific. It, it, you are unique; there is only the one of you that has that title.
4: Uh, yeah, I'm sure someone else will do it. But...
2: Well, Chaz has probably the only person who's come out and said he wants to go after it.
4: Yeah, which is good. Um, yeah, it's, it's great, and to to uh, I think of what it does is it, um, having all three highlights the other races as well and, and and shows how important they are. I think in yeah. years, years to come, those the 12 hour definitely and the 6 hour uh, getting a lot more prestigious. Um, but yeah, I had uh, the person that honoured me the most was, was Roland Dane he, he gave me a, a present which he had made, which is a, a print he had done and mounted with uh, all the victories put on it. And it said uh, the batter's champion, I, I think the the, uh, the caption was so to have someone yeah. uh, at his level acknowledge me with that was uh, was pretty cool for sure yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, respect is one thing but when it comes from an area where you have enormous respect for that person that just makes it special just looking overall at, at say let's just look at, at motorsport in australia i mean you know there is a strong 12 hour which means gt racing it's largely has become around the world a gentleman sort of category but there are some good drivers there both young and old um so that's sort of going quite well we don't seem to have the feeder categories going quite as strongly as we should
4: well i think i think the biggest mess up was formula 4 to be straight forward we had something as great as formula 4 and and um yeah with the mess with that formula. And a lot of those guys now that would have gone to Formula 4 are now going to Toyota 86. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's strong. And then uh, I think another great category, which is going leaps and bounds, which um, is quite affordable, is the Hyundai XLs. they got a lot of big car count. Yes. Yeah. Um. So... I think see the feeder categories there. Do they get as much recognition as they probably deserve? No, but there's plenty of racing to be had economically if you want to go and do it, and it's probably not always about, about getting the TV. Yes. But the, um, the big one that's, that's, that's really messed up is that F4 thing. It's, yes. like, it's, it's a bit of a tragedy.
2: Well, in fact, it's fascinating. We were talking last week with Bruin Beasley, who you probably know runs a, uh, a car in the Toyota Series, and the big news there was, of course, that now you can actually gain super license points for Formula One running in that Toyota series, which puts it on the same elevation as a Formula Three or Formula Renault in Europe. Um, so you do well there and it'll get you going in a year. And, and, you know, we can obviously see with the likes of Kvyat and Stroll and Hartley um, that have all come through that that um, it's a great way to have that and, you know, it just seems such a massive miss not to for Australia to have joined in that series
4: Yeah, well, the New Zealand thing's always been great and people have been going over there and, and racing over that summer for a long time and the good thing about that, and it's probably unique to New Zealand if you've got a lot of tracks there's six or seven tracks there in a small country that you can go to in a six week period and knock out a lot of driving in a short period of time and gain experience so you got all those guys in winter in europe coming to new zealand and bringing a lot of money into that that category um i think it's the the timing of that series and the calendar that that makes that you know very unique so i don't know how you'd adapt that to australia whether you add some rounds on the back of it but
2: well, you know, I mean, it could have been, and, and Australia and Toyota chose not to. In this country, adopt that chassis in that category. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think
4: I don't think it's the chassis of the category, Tony. I think it's like anyway. Any time you race in Australia, you got a big logistical cost. It's moving around. Yeah. And then uh, that short, sharp six rounds in a in a short period of time, weekend after weekend, is it's um, that's a pretty pretty unique. Position yeah, they, they got
2: they over there in New Zealand. Twenty days running in thirty days, so yeah, yeah it was, that's
4: uh, it. So remarkable. If you, yeah, if you look um, at the way the dollar, New Zealand dollar is, and you're sitting in Europe, you you, you know they probably think it's too cheap.
2: Now, just looking more specifically at uh, where you've been and where you're still involved, do you go to many rounds of the Super uh, Supercar Championship? Yeah,
4: we still run the Super Two team, so right. Um, yeah, we had Anton De Pasquale in that car the last two years, and Shay Davies in that car this year. So we're there with all those those uh, rounds, and yeah, not not really involved much in the main game side of things anymore, apart from uh, keeping an eye on Anton.
2: You must be not only pleased but also proud to see the way he's doing. I mean, he he is by quite a margin the outstanding uh, rookie this year.
4: Yeah, I always thought he would be, and if you look at his, you look at what he did in Super Two. He he came in and within two years, and his second year, he was winning races and pole positions, and and just getting better each time. And the guys that he was racing against, and no disrespect to them, they'd been in the category a lot longer than him. Four, it was their fourth year, and they were firing and and showing what they could do. But Anton um, picked it up really quickly. And I thought he would when he went, out of all the rookies that went into the main game, he would adapt to it quicker than the, most of the other guys. So that's his strengths. I think he, he can uh, adapt really quickly, he learns really quickly. Um, yeah. I Different drivers yeah. do. They, they learn at different levels. He's just got to keep going and he's showing, showing good progress.
2: I met him first when he was with Sonic and Mick and Maria Ritter and uh, he oh, yeah. won that championship.
4: It was very good grounding for him. They Some of the lessons
2: he him, he still has today. So uh, it's that interesting thing, of course, too. That you know, I believe that drivers, when they've been to Europe and come back, I mean, as your good friend Russell showed when he came back in '95, that it, it, there's a case hardening that goes on over there. That you, you can't. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. You can't mess around. You've just you, from the moment you hit the track, you've got to get you know onto it. Yeah, you've got to you've
4: got to be onto it. If you don't, you're going to get run over. And, there's no protected species, you know. It's, there's plenty of drivers over there. They've all got good budgets, and there's just no excuses. You, you get on with it or get run over or find another hobby. Yeah. That's, that's what happens.
3: You, We've talked about where you've landed, but where'd you start? What was the first motorised vehicle that you got into to race?
4: Uh, so my first race car was an EH Holden speedway sedan, standard speedway sedan that I raced at Surface Paradise Speedway. It's called Surfside Speedway. So where the old raceway was at Carrara they had a quarter mile dirt track in the middle there. And uh, yeah, we used to race on a Saturday night. So um, a group of guys that I worked with um, I worked at a aluminium boat building place called Stessel Boats and a group of guys that I worked with raced these cars and got involved with them. And eventually, uh, yeah, built my own car up and, yeah, raced that for two years. It was a lot of fun, learned a lot about stuff, uh, to do with making our own cars and where we got parts from and how to keep racing. It was a really good experience. And then from then, uh, progressed into the Gemini series, which was very strong up here in Queens at the time between Lakeside and Surface. We had, had two tracks there and big grids of sort of 40, 45
2: cars. Any any names of any other drivers who were in Gemini's with you then?
4: Yeah, Troy Dunstan was in there. Um, yep. Tony was, had been through it a couple of years before me, Tony Longhouse. So, yep. um, yeah, there was some, some pretty strong drivers in the series. If you run up front, you definitely definitely had to be pretty pretty solid.
2: The cars were pretty stock, weren't they?
4: Yeah, you'd buy a Gemini for 200 bucks and put a roll cage in it, strip it out, blueprint the engine, bust the tyres, and uh, away you go. Like everything, there was a few little tweaks to, to getting the most out of it. But, um, yeah, you'd, you'd have a race car for two and a half, three grand, and it was it was pretty uh, economical way of going racing.
2: And you progressed from that into Formula Ford, didn't you?
4: Yeah, we did. Um, at, at that stage, our family business progressed, started progressing from... Just my dad selling life insurance to, we got into the mail order business and, uh, it started to grow and that allowed us to go, uh, Formula Ford racing. So, um, yeah, we did that for three years. Um, did a, ran our own little professional team and Troy Dunstan did all the, uh, did all the work on the team and we sort of supplied the, the funding to, to make it run. So it was, it was pretty good fun.
2: And it was a very strong series in those days. This is very early 90s, isn't it?
4: Yeah, early 90s. So, um, you'd have 30, 40 cars on the grid. Yeah. Sort of 10 to 15 guys that had a chance of winning a race. So, um, and pretty enjoyable. It was a bit more laid back back then. We used to party pretty hard off the track. and Not like what uh, like, like things are today.
0: Each week join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year
1: in Formula 3 I think is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However I believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as the yeah, cars in Australia is where I see myself.
0: Second crack at the Australian times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport. Brought Broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au.
2: Just looking now at at the state of supercars. um, uh, You know, there was some pretty strong racing down at Phillip Island. Not a lot of passing. Some very emphatic passes by uh, young Scotty McLaughlin. Um, when he on both Saturday and Sunday, you know, took took the uh, the lead and and uh, kept it. Um, are you enjoy it at all when you see it, or do you find it too processional? Or
4: um, I, I enjoy it, and I think for me, if I just watched the race on TV and I didn't have the timing screen, I yeah. I wouldn't enjoy it. So I always have my iPad going, and you know, I, I can find it... Something going on that interests me, but i I really think for the for the, someone who hadn't watched it before, you're not going to hold their attention very long. <laughs> people want, want want instant gratification or something that's or they're going to get bored and pick up their phone and do something else so um, yeah I think it's a good spectacle, but how do you bring new people into watching it is, is something they they need to work on but. I sort of noticed with the the telecast now they've gone to you know that bit live and after after race show that is bringing more content to it, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, I think they know they've got to evolve and they know they've got to keep people interested, and it seems like they're doing that.
2: One thing, and and yeah, I mean you, you would probably be aware that Tony Cochran and I didn't get on, but I had a lot of respect for him as a showman. And somebody knew
4: yeah, yeah he was a rainmaker.
2: Yeah. I couldn't get through to him, and I was staggered to discover that Sean Seymour, when I spoke to him at Phillip Island, didn't understand when I was talking about having a position tower, a Bathurst-style tower that is portable and goes to a track and I've been talking about it for over 20 years, and they still don't understand that the moment they had compulsory pit stops, that if you had that there, it would just make it so much simpler for people to actually follow it. Yeah, it's a good point, and
4: the, like, the one at Bathurst is, is, I suppose, what you we'll We'll look at it and watch it and know who's where, and even as a driver you can uh, you can see it coming down the coming down Conrad Street and look at it and see where you are and what position it is but um, yeah, I suppose I think they'll get an app for your phone now that'll do the same thing
2: yeah, but that's where you see I think that's they're missing the point and it's one of the things I used to talk to Cochrane about was that they seem to be doing more for the viewers on television, than they were for the people who'd spent the money and taken the trouble of getting a car and drive there. They should be the ones, you know, they should be the priority.
4: Yeah, well, they're in the event business, so supercars put on a lot of those events, so that's, uh, that's a good point, Tony.
2: Yeah, well over half of them are supercars events, so, yeah, look, I might actually take it up with Shane Howard again sometime soon because it just seems to me that, you know, particularly when you go to tracks like Queensland Raceway, um, uh, Winton, uh, Barbagello, Simmons Plains, all those tracks that intrinsically don't have a lot of, you know, there's nothing interesting watching the cars on the track. And if you know exactly who's in the fight, and, you know, you use different colours for the fact that the guys who are actually been for a pit stop and those who haven't. And there are just I mean, so many things, and, and when you say you have an app, you don't want to disconnect people from what they're watching by having I to look know. at a a phone.
4: Yeah, well, why you need to bring her up again? Yeah, the uh, one okay. works. I don't know how many of the fans watch it, but I know we yeah. do as people involved.
2: Yeah, and you walk out of the garage to so go and have a look up at it, even if you've got a screen there, because just something about seeing it up there. And the fascinating thing is, I actually priced some years ago that you can buy the software, and all you need is obviously a laptop. You plug it into the tower, and bingo, you're up and running. I mean, you know what it's like at Speedway. You know the importance of yeah. keeping people informed, keeping them up to date. Yeah,
4: they keep the number, they keep the order flashing up the whole time. That's right. That's
2: right. So, uh, the racing itself, um, uh, you enjoy watching it. Do you think the format's right? The the mixture of long, short, the endurance cup, and things like that.
4: I think it's okay, but. The, the the one thing that does get things spiced up is the safety car. And if you don't get a safety car, which we tend to don't get many anymore because the drivers are so good and the cars are prepared so well. Um, but you saw on the weekend that even in Formula 1, a couple of safety cars and even air racing becomes not boring. So it's it's a problem that, that all major motorsport have got are how to keep, like even, even NASCAR, they keep tweaking their format. They're constantly changing the... The point score and evolving the thing, so I don't know how you crack it. I think there's just a lot more things for people to do these days than, than, than watch car racing and hold their attention so
3: we have seen uh, and about a year ago, Paul we had uh, John Faulkner on the show, and basically yeah. his his position was he's lamenting the fact that it's not about race drivers anymore it's about engineers. And uh, he and Brad had a bit of a toe to toe on the show about uh, the, you know, driver seems to be secondary to what the engineer can do.
4: Oh well, it's, it's all about the team, and and yeah, you only got to look at the um, the interviews of of all the drivers. The first thing they do, every one of them, is thank their team, and before they thank anyone, and it's not me, it's we. Uh, so I think it's. The competitiveness is just, and the sports become so much about having the right people around you that um, yeah, it has become a priority. Can the a driver carry know, a car, car at work? No, I don't think they can. You can to a certain extent, but you're not, you, I don't think you can anymore. There's nowhere to hide. If you, your car's not right, you're going to be mid pack, and you'll carry it for a couple of laps till you blow the tires off, and then someone will cave your door in, and you'll get spat out the back. So I don't, I don't think it applies anymore.
2: You started following the sport in the 70s, I assume, Paul.
4: Beg your pardon, Tony?
2: You, you started following motorsport in the 70s?
4: Yeah, well, since I can remember. As, you know, we've always followed as, as a family. My dad was involved at, at club level and raced before I was born. So, yeah, we're, we've always been
2: major fans of the sport and and it's in our lifetime that we've seen the introduction that 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 and the difference that computers made first of all to the way in which things are made and that you know of course we had all cad cam and then we had you know inferior materials we had better aluminiums and steels and all these things better welding equipment so that we just didn't have you know by the time you'd started racing well and truly in the mid 90s to late 90s the finger problems were starting to disappear and now you know we have mechanics who are paid properly they sleep properly they don't have to work 24 hours a day um and that so that you don't see the crank, crank sensors sort of not being positioned right you don't see the the uh, the hoses not tightened properly and and all those myriad of things that used to go wrong you remember them when you started yeah
4: it's you used to have a finger trouble. We used to call it. So yeah, you, you get it every now and again. You might get a rare occurrence, but it's it's not something that happens a lot. And you know, the the mechanics and the and the, the crew on those big teams and use Triple uh, Eight as as an example. They they're paid to win. They get a bonus when the, when the car wins. So that's all they're thinking about. Yeah. So it's um. Yeah, it's 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 different. If you went back to the rules that we had in 1994 and had five blokes in the pit lane and some are making the sandwiches and kick the cars out the pit lane, would the racing be any different? Probably not. Might be a bit better, but you can't really wind back the clock. So.
0: no,
2: it's no. Just... No. Look, I remember your workshop well out at Normal there and uh, taking over what had been the uh, BMW driving centre and then becoming. Uh, um your the bmw team and then evolving through to become Paul morris motorsport um where you had a myriad of very strange vehicles uh you still have most of them i suppose
4: yeah look we um it's it's been great being involved with with that complex and it's it's something we're super proud of it was originally built uh frank frank garter and tony longhurst built it and uh it was funded with with basically cigarette money back in the day because the sponsor was Benson and Hedges. And if, if you had to replicate that facility today, you'd be probably thirty million to do it. You'd never get it off the ground. So uh, to have that, to have a workshop and to have a track and all those things there is is uh, is great. It's thirty years old. In that that facility, but it's stood the test of time, it's still a fantastic um, venue.
2: You've kept on amping it up, though. I mean, over the years with the facilities you've put in there, um, you know, engine shops and and uh, uh, composite materials and um, facilities there, um, it it really is quite something, though, as as a, an entity uh, for Queensland.
4: Yeah, look, look, um, and that's where Mark Cars now has its base. So, um, you know, we have we're, we're I think we're up to our 23rd car from Mark Cars now. I think I, was last, I spoke to Ryan last night and he has had an order for another one. So I think, um, yeah, all that stuff that we built for supercars over the years has sort of now morphed into to Mark Cars. So if you have ever up that way and want to drop in and see what we do, we I think we're Australia's biggest, largest car manufacturer now. <laughs>
2: Um, Were you there the day that Jackie Stewart called by when Frank and Gloria were still around?
4: Yeah, yeah, I remember that.
2: Yeah, well, I remember interviewing uh, Jackie and uh, Sir Jackie Stewart and him saying to me that that there was one regret in his life that he didn't do what Frank had done there in building a driving facility. And I thought that's one of the most remarkable things for a man who achieved so much as he has in Jackie Stewart, you know, three times world champion. Um, to say that about you know a little old Queensland sort of <laughs> workshop and racetrack, that I wish I'd built one of those is <laughs> Jake Stewart quite extraordinary.
4: Yeah, well it was was way ahead of its time, and but this is a really good story. But recently uh, BMW driving experiences originally that they were worked out of there, and things have come and people have moved on in the company at BMW, and people out there now really don't know the history of. What was there, but they, um, were using the skid pan and the, the, they send, uh, people out from Germany to, to order each, each, uh, country on their, on their driving experience and they really liked our skid pan. And they worked out. They tried to work out where it was come from. I said, "Well, you guys probably designed it originally." If you want to go back far enough,
3: what was your memory so, of meeting was- Sir Jackie Stewart back uh, in those days with Frank Gardner, of course, who knew him extremely well from the racetrack, not just uh, as a uh, as a driver, but as a, a compatriot on the track.
4: Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I met lots of really in, um, important or famous people through through Frank and. Uh, but yeah, Jackie was, was good. His wife was ill at the time and they were out here. Um, I think they were staying at the, at the Versace and she was recovering from, from an illness. So they were getting a bit of sunshine and enjoying themselves. Yeah, he was great. He went right through the workshop and then, uh, spent a bit of time and driving around the track and talking, talking and telling stories and having a joke. It was uh, quite, quite an interesting bloke for sure. Spent a bit of time with my mum and dad, and it's good.
3: You also have been uh, well well involved in the campaign of trying to get a, a permanent race facility for not necessarily for the top level of motorsport, for the development of motorsport in back in Surface Paradise, haven't you?
4: Uh, yeah, look, we've, we've, we've it's something that's probably never going to happen. The race tracks are like airports; everyone wants one, but just not near them, so just the price of land and everything that's going on in, in, in the south-east Queensland at the moment, I think uh, it's, it's out of reach. Um, I think Ipswich is, is our best go, is, is upgrading that facility, and and they, they've got a good precinct out there. So the, the common sense thing to do is, is try and get behind the Ipswich City Council and support them and, and try and get that facility um, upgraded and, and uh, to, to a better level.
2: What do you think could be done there, in a you know a short to medium term, to improve the standard of the track?
4: Yeah, well it's a, it's a tricky situation because obviously John Tetley, it's a great bloke and done a lot for Queensland motorsport. And he's 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 got Lakeside and he's got the lease at, at Ipswich, and he's what he's done for recreational motorsport, which is a level below our camps competition, is, is get a lot of people into motor racing that never would have had the chance. So. For that level that, and what they're doing, that, that circuit's perfect. So, but you do need something a bit better for when the professionals come to town. So, from a commercial point of view, he's not really worried about that because he's making plenty of money doing what he's doing and keeping plenty of people satisfied. So, supercars and other big events do need a track they can go to, and and uh, so there's be some common ground there somewhere. But they'll see a way down the track with it. and... They had a problem with the Lord Mayor out there who's now um, got a few dramas, so i put that project back a few few years, I'd say. But, yeah. Yeah.
2: Of course, there's lots of uh, stories of tracks being built in uh, Rockhampton, um, one in the back of Newcastle, um, numerous ones up and down the eastern seaboard. Yeah, but
4: the problem is you read the report, then on the bottom it says subject to government funding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was that easy to get... Money out of government to build race tracks, we'd all have them. Um, I think, you know, it's it's it would be a very very um, long shot to get those things off the ground.
2: Have you had a look at uh, Tail and Bend? No,
4: I haven't. I've only seen what uh, what the media's put up, and I um, haven't been there yet. But uh, fantastic that they've done it.
2: And, and quite obviously, I mean, it's not done for making money, it's done because they want to make, uh, you know, contribute something to motorsport and to South Australia, and they've certainly done that.
4: Yeah, they have done that, but uh, look, there's got to be a commercial return there there, sometime, and uh, I think, you know, with what they've got planned with a multi-use venue, they, they should be able to um, make that thing stack up, so get the hotel going and... Get all the other things going
2: in the area. Oh look, there are that you know. There's rock and roll concerts. There's Boy Scout jamborees. Yeah. You know, you're right. Yeah. It is multi-use uh, venue. They're, they're in the business of
4: losing money. Those blokes, so they wouldn't be wouldn't be where they are. No, no. there's A, there's a lot of uh, petrol stations <laughs> they own and I'm sure they don't want to just be subsidising a, uh, nah. a
2: racetrack. Yeah. Is, is there anything around supercars that you see is could be done to improve the show? I mean, obviously, as you said, the, the driver standard is very high. Uh, and you know, and yet uh, somebody like Anton can come in, and you know, clearly he's been in, you know top ten for the last three or four races, sort of thing. So he can come in, and given that he's got the equipment to do it, he can make an impact. So that's obviously one side of it that's in a, in reasonably good shape.
4: Yeah, but I've always been an actor for this. I I I reckon you should have more contact. Um, I think a touring car race is a contact sport. It always has been. I've been shoved out of the way by blokes that have won plenty of touring car championships and lots of baffers and nothing ever got said about it because it was just the way it happened back then, you know. there was The TV cameras weren't on you, you never had in-car cameras and if you held a bloke up for two corners, you were going to get moved out of the way and it just went back and forth. Um, so, for me, the driving's over-scrutinised. There shouldn't be someone in the control tower telling you how to drive or telling you what happened to the incident the drivers should be able to sort it out themselves, and someone gets moved out of the way to win a race, well, that's just what happens, and it always has happened, and somehow we've just evolved into this really over-scrutinised style of going car racing, which is boring.
2: Um, the, um, The cars themselves, I mean, you haven't driven one in a couple of years, I imagine, but they're not dramatically different to how they were when you were last driving?
4: Yeah, they're driving pretty loose now, Tony. They're... The guys that drive them now are, are, are pretty extreme at what they do. And the last time I drove one, I got in it and thought things were going to spin out going down the straight. They, they're, they're on the edge and they're really elite at what they do. So, um, yeah, the cars are evolving. but The driving style is always evolving. And, yeah, I can get entertainment out of watching that, but uh, if you're the person on the couch that... Doesn't really follow it as, as, as hardcore as I do. Probably don't.
2: All right. Well, um, it's certainly interesting to hear your views, Paul. Um, we would like to have you back uh, when we get Tony Longhurst back from the sea um, and have a chat, because you know you are long-time uh, allies and protagonists, and uh, two people who've got uh, good points of view on the sport, and would like to hear you, you talking about them.
4: Yeah, it'd be great to be on with Tony. He did a lot for me when I was a young guy, and. Uh, A lot of respect for him, so it'd be great to have a chat with
2: him. Congratulations uh, on Anton's success. I'm not for one second saying that you've uh, subsidised him or anything like that, but he's certainly been a mentor to you and he's talked to me about you. Um, And I I enjoy that aspect of uh, your success over the years in involving all sorts of people, including, as you were talking about, Ryan McLeod and the Mark Cars. I mean, wonderfully innovative uh, to have that the Racer Industries business, you have an enormous portfolio uh, in motorsport, and we greatly appreciate your time, Paul, on uh, Inside Supercars. Oh, great!
4: Um, uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Indeed, we will. Welcome back. Certainly interesting to delve into the world of Paul Morris. He leads a, an amazing lifestyle. I mean, I I'd, I'd know nothing at all about his time in sprint cars in overseas, and. Obviously, the uh, whole world of stadium
3: trucks is another one that uh, you and I have never really ventured into, uh, Craig. No, that's true. But he's uh, managed to pull off a championship. And if you think, you could argue a case almost at the back end of his career, championship and trophy-wise, has been more successful than the front end. Perhaps a bit harsh because <laughs> it's very hard to remember back to all those super-touring uh, wins that he did have in the BMWs. But... Uh, uh, you know, you certainly remember the Bathurst win and then becoming the world super truck champion last year. Yeah,
2: indeed. And that unique title of being uh, the only winner of both the six, twelve, and 1,000k race. He, of course, pulled that race win off with Chaz Mostert. I think that was his last supercar start, if I'm not
3: mistaken. Or maybe uh, at Gold Coast that year. Yeah, Gold Coast, I think he wrapped up his supercar career in the main game.
2: And after the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars.
0: Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Cooper Grand Prix and I just remind myself... of of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
1: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page.
2: And coming up we'll have a bit of a listen to Matt White. We've got his uh, interview we had in Adelaide fascinating history of course he's been a mainstay of the development series the Dunlop series the Conacher series before that um, and many other names it's had over the years Uh, Matthew has been uh, there almost from the start and he's been one of the uh, major competitors with winners in uh, both uh, as himself as a driver and then as an entrance so Matthew White coming up the driver and team owner. How many years were you driving in total though?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I probably, probably till 2008, I think was was about the last. So, probably did about nine years. And you
2: also uh, did a few main uh, main game enduro starts.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, had
2: the teams you drove for?
1: Uh, yeah. There was Triple Eight, Stone Brothers, um, PWR. Yep. Um, and obviously Brightech. So yep. yeah, a couple of different gigs there. And yeah, you had uh, Brightech. You were sharing the seat, Stevie O. Yes, indeed, indeed.
2: And fortunately, he was um, not melting himself anymore. He learned not to do that.
1: Um, so you then became team owner and running cars. What year yep. was the first year there? I think that probably started back back in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, um, and that's about when we started expanding to two cars. Yep. Um, and it was really probably wasn't the ideal way to get into a sport, but at that time. Um, as you know it was uh, the Konica series, it started at a very low level and and gave us an opportunity to get in and learn and for me uh, not having raced on any of the circuits um, coming from basically the Thunderdome and Adelaide International Raceway were the two tracks I knew, Um, it was a mighty big step but um, being a an initial category that provided you an opportunity to get in and you know race race against the likes of Canto um, and you know we had some great battles and yep. um, as a team owner had a had very good uh, help from gentleman Mike Excel yep. um, at the time and he made a massive difference because um, really we we didn't have a, a great understanding of what we're doing or, or supercars um, but managed to managed to get podiums every round in our first year and that sort of kick started things and. Um, it was a fantastic, fantastic opportunity.
3: And of course, Tony, we'll have that full interview in a few weeks' time.
2: Craig, final thoughts for this week?
3: Well, my final thought is that we're going to see the knockout qualifying stage uh, at Perth. A bit of talk in the intervening period since down there in Tassie when they rolled out this qualifying system about whether it should be adopted more widely. I'm I'm quite comfortable with it only being at a couple of racetracks. Would you extend it to Winton? No, I don't think so. Could you extend it to Queensland Raceway? Well that might make the place a little bit more interesting, but as I've always said, Queensland Raceway races well. It's not the most uh it's not the most uh pleasant of settings, but one thing's for sure, if it was so easy how come there's so few winners at the track? And that's something that uh, <laughs> I, always astounds me. Everyone complains about it. so simple. Well, if it's so simple, there wouldn't be such a cluster of winners, you know, in, in maybe four winners have uh, won 90% of the races there. So um, it belies the fact that it is such a simple racetrack. If uh, you can't... Um, if you can't see a lot of winners, but maybe the qualifying changes there would be uh, would be good for the uh, racing, Tony. It it
2: certainly makes the Fridays far more interesting at these events because, as it is, you know, everyone runs around. We never get an idea. I mean, there have been a lot of that. Uh, uh, the people playing games where they're not putting in full sectors in every on every lap in practice and uh, sorting out uh, their uh, race setups without giving away their hand. But uh, I look forward to seeing it. I I haven't seen it up uh, up personal. I'd like to have been there at Barbegello, but uh, not this year. Um, It certainly makes the uh, qualifying far more interesting, and I've enjoyed watching it in live timing. So I'll uh, look forward to seeing that again uh, this Saturday uh, when that rolls around. So on Inside Supercars, get ready for Barbagello. There'll be highlights on Channel 10, free to air. And otherwise, for those Fox watchers, they can see all of Friday and all the glory and uh, then get ready for a weekend of racing. So that's it from Inside Supercars this week. Good night from me. And good night from him.
0: The Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.